0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Lendit Lopate. For decades, scientists around the world have been concerned about a dramatic rise in health issues ranging from asthma, food allergies, autism, obesity, and diabetes. And at the same time, there's been a major dependence on the use of antibiotics. A new documentary, The Invisible Extinction, co-written, directed, and produced by Stephen Lawrence and Sarah Schenck, follows two renowned scientists, married micro, microbiologist Martin Blazer and Gloria Dominguez Bello, as they research the impact of the overuse of antibiotics and how we can save vanishing microbes that are essential to our survival. The, the film opens this Friday at the IFC Film Center on 6th Avenue in Greenwich Village, and it brings Stephen Lawrence
1: to our show now. Welcome. Uh, Thanks, Leonard. Wonderful to be here.
0: Well, uh, did you become interested in making this film about the loss of microbes as a serious global health concern based
1: on personal experiences? Yes, it it was very personal for me. Uh, Back in the early 1990s, um, I picked up a couple of parasitic infections when I was making documentaries in uh, Russia and Central Asia. Um, I came back to the U.S. I was losing weight, having uh, GI distress, and I got diagnosed and uh, treated with antibiotics. Uh, The symptoms didn't go away, and then I was uh, treated with many rounds of antibiotics again and again um, over several years on the assumption that the infection was still there, uh, when in retrospect, uh, what was going on is that I was suffering suffering uh, the damage of the antibiotics to my gut and my immune system. Unfortunately, back in those days, nobody knew uh, about the microbiome. The, the, the word wasn't even in use. And doctors just liberally uh, used antibiotics uh, without considering the consequences. Uh, we're in a better era now, but there still is a lot of ignorance and, uh, and, and not necessarily the best practices in the medical world either. Uh, so Sarah and I wanted to uh, make a film that would be a wake-up call mm. about the importance of the microbiome uh, to our health, and uh, you know the consequences for me were were pretty dire. Uh, I uh, there was a cascade of problems. I developed chronic uh, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, autoimmune thyroid disease, uh, allergies, and food intolerances I hadn't had before. And unfortunately, this uh, the damage has been permanent, although I've found ways to manage it. Um, and so, uh, in a way, I'm a poster child for what can happen with overuse of antibiotics or medically unnecessary use of antibiotics. So let's describe what a microbiome is. Well, the the microbiome... Uh, The human microbiome is all the microbes um, in our bodies and on our bodies. Uh, Our film focuses mostly on the gut microbiome, which is um, absolutely critical to our health and the development of our immune system when we're young. Uh, You know, technically there there are many components to the microbiome. Uh, There are, excuse me, uh, bacteria, uh, fungi, viruses, other things. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and there are, you know, there are trillions and the microbiome has not yet, be, not yet been mapped the way the genome has. Um, but this is a rapidly evolving scientific revolution and the film is about the early days of this scientific revolution to understand how our microbes are fundamental to our health Um, how to protect them, and hopefully how to restore them so that that people who have suffered damage, like me, um, and like Sarah's kids, um, uh, have an opportunity to fully recover their health. So microbes live everywhere, in the water,
0: the soil, in the air. Um, Are the ones in humans pretty much the same? And are there different ones in different environments?
1: Well, there there are also different ones in in different people. Although there are similarities um, in you culture. I mean, we inherit
0: different ones.
1: <clears throat> yes, we get our our microbes from our mothers initially. If you're if you're born vaginally, um, you acquire your your mom's microbes coming through the vaginal canal at birth. If you're a C-section baby, it's it's different, and we get into that in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you also acquire your microbes from your environment, from the skin of people who touch and care for you, from the soil, from animals. And so we, um, uh, you know, there's a multifaceted uh, source of microbes. But the key component uh it, it, you know, are those microbes that you inherit from your mom.
0: And they're generally the good ones? Because what makes a microbe good or bad?
1: Okay. (laughs) Well, um, I I wish I were a scientist and Mm. could give you a full scientific explanation. And I also didn't address your question about the the difference between the microbes that are in the environment and the microbes Mm. that are, are... In us. Um, But, you know, microbes can be both good and bad. Some that are possibly pathogenic uh, in some people are fine in other people. Um, We all, uh, many of us carry E. coli, which can be quite dangerous, and there are different strains of us. Many of us carry uh, C. difficile, which can lead to a very serious uh, GI infection. It's really about having a robust and diverse microbiome that comes from the microbes you acquire at birth and from your environment and also from food. Diet is absolutely critical to having a healthy microbiome. Uh, But what and having a balance because the the good microbes uh, keep the opportunistic microbes in check. So it's all about balance. And unfortunately, what's happened, um, and and this wasn't the case when I was growing up, um, kids are getting a lot of of antibiotics still. By the age of three, uh, the average child in the US has had three rounds of antibiotics. By 10, it's 10, by 20, it's 20. That's a lot. And a lot of it is medically unnecessary.
0: Now, Robert Koch discovered in the 1880s, that microorganisms cause a number of serious diseases. And a, not much after, uh, Louis Pasteur d- developed the principles of vaccination and, and what we call pasteurization. So we've known about these things for a long time. How come it's still largely a mystery?
1: Well, Iran uh an Israeli scientist who's in the film uh, talks about how this revolution became possible uh, in part through technology through uh, RNA sequencing um, so that we could really look at what's going on on a microbiological basis. Um, But as he says in the film for years and years and he was a gastroenterologist doing uh, colonoscopies um, People in the medical world thought that this was just a waste product. Hmm. Um, we didn't understand that we have an inner ecology. Okay, we we had germ theory, and and Pasteur and and Salk and so many others, and uh, were uh, developed um, the idea that germs. Um, can be injurious to your health and that we need vaccines um, to immunize us and protect us. from Well, the germ. word
0: germ has a negative effect and negative implication, but uh, I guess it's another word for microbes. And although some are bad for us, uh, aren't, of, aren't most of them good at wiping out the ones inside of. So wiping out the ones inside of us is creating that health crisis.
1: Yes, as I said bef- uh, before, it's about balance. When you when you start to kill off the microbial diversity, um, you're opening the door to inflammation, opportunistic infections, um, and we see this uh, particularly in childhood. Uh, your your listeners should really it's see been the link to autism. Has it? Well, there is a correlation. Possibly to autism. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I am recovering from COVID and still have a bit of a cough. Um, Sorry. Look, it's, it's, this is something that we get into in the film um, uh, through the story of a, a young Chinese boy who was diagnosed with autism um, at age two. Um, he was born by C-section. He received antibiotics at birth. Um, uh, what what is known about autism and the gut microbiome is that kids who are autistic have a different gut microbiome. They have deficits, and they uh, a large percentage of them have uh, GI problems, irritable bowel syndrome, um, food intolerances, et cetera. And there's a lot of research going on in this area um, where fecal transplants are being used to treat, um, autistic, uh, people in some cases, children, uh, uh, to restore the microbial balance. And we've seen how that is almost a miraculous cure, uh, for a particular disease, C. difficile, uh, the, the, the pathogenic, uh, bacterium that I mentioned previously, that uh, kills 20,000 Americans a year. A lot of them pick it up from overuse of antibiotics or being in hospitals um, where, unfortunately, it spreads pretty easily. And um, a fecal transplant has a 95% cure rate. Just wow. infusing somebody with uh, the healthy poop of a, of a donor um, just knocks out the disease because the microbial balance is being restored. But exactly how that works, the mechanism is not yet known. And, and that's one of the reasons it's a very exciting time in this field. And it was a wonderful opportunity uh, for us as filmmakers to document uh, these early days of this scientific revolution.
0: I'm speaking with Stephen Lawrence, who is co-writer, director, and producer, with Sarah Schenk of a new film called The Invisible Extinction, which opens this Friday here in New York at the IFC Film Center in Greenwich Village. Uh, It'll also be available on demand. Uh, We can get to that later. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. The subjects of your film are Rutgers microbiologist Martin J. Blazer and Maria Gloria Dominguez Bello. They're known throughout the country for their work, uh, throughout the world, in fact, for their work in investigating the, the uh, depletion and the diversity of the human microbiome. Doesn't their research look into the link between the microbiome and diseases like diabetes, cancer, asthma, and autism?
1: Uh, yes, they they are doing um, some specific research. Um, Marty has done a lot of research around diabetes uh, and autism. Uh, he's been looking at obesity. Gloria has been particularly focused um, on on um, C-section births and the deficit uh, that C-section babies can have, and that statistically. Um, leads to an increase in the risk of certain diseases, obesity, diabetes, food allergies, asthma. Um, They are uh, pioneers. Uh, There are others in the field um, who are are doing this work uh, with different areas of focus. Um, Well, they work with collaborators in
0: Venezuela, China, Israel, Switzerland, throughout the United States. So has this situation become an international concern?
1: Yes, it it is an international concern. There is research going on globally. Uh, The problem is uh, the problem in the sense that it is connected to Uh, Medically unnecessary use of antibiotics, Um, uh, you know, uh, poor diet, elective C-sections, processed foods, Uh, there are other um, uh, vectors when it comes to this problem, Uh, perhaps too much hygiene, kids being raised in very hygienic environments instead of being exposed to a lot of microbes, soils, animals, etc. Chemicals, but the the point is that this is a global problem and it's a problem of the the industrialized or developed world Um, We've used a lot of antibiotics in the US for a long time in humans in animals Uh, The antibiotic use in China is five times uh, as much as in the US per capita Wow. And and so it's a big problem there, which is one reason we decided to do part of the film in China. and But focus... not
0: a problem in the Amazon? Because that's no, not part of the industrialized not... world?
1: No. There's a segment in the film, uh, and, and this is key to uh, Gloria's work, uh, which I'll speak about a little bit more in a moment, um, Gloria and, and there's some other scientists who are doing this as well um, have been with the cooperation of indigenous peoples collecting uh, uh, microbe specimens from them to preserve and, and possibly uh, use in the future for research because they they hold potential to cure some of these diseases, what Marty, Plays are in our film called uh, "Modern Plagues." So for many years, Gloria has been going to remote villages in the Amazon, working uh, cooperatively with villagers there, Yamamani and 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 others, who are uh, donating their specimens, and they have a much more diverse and robust microbiome because. They haven't been, for the most part, exposed to antibiotics, Western medical practices, uh, processed foods. And, uh, and, and so uh, this is very, very important research that she is doing. And uh, part of what we look at in the film is her uh, early effort to create a microbiota vault, um, a, a safe and secure place that will store um, these specimens for future research. And this is analogous to the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. Uh, It's an attempt to preserve the biodiversity of the human microbiome before it's too late. And as as Marty Blazer says early in our film, our internal ecology is vanishing at a faster rate than climate change. Uh, We've lost 50% of our internal biodiversity of our of our microbial diversity and uh, so this film is meant as a wake up call about this problem which is indeed a global problem
0: so um, where do, how do processed foods come into this story they they don't use antibiotics do
1: they no the the, the point about processed foods is that they have often been stripped of many of their nutrients that are important and fiber is the single most important uh, part of our diet to supporting a healthy microbiome. So the more that you uh, consume fat and sugar and salt, which tend to dominate processed foods, when you have that kind of diet, you are not supporting your microbiome in a way you're working against it. When were antibiotics developed? Well, the antibiotics were developed um, during World War II. Um, they, they were discovered uh, in uh, the 1920s and really the manufacture of them um, ramped up in the 1940s. And they were absolutely critical to saving lives in the battlefield um, and they were considered miracle drugs and they absolutely were and still are. The, the problem with with antibiotics, which we get into in the film, is that they have to be used judiciously because uh, almost all the antibiotics that exist now are broad spectrum. They kill everything. They're not targeted, the good and the bad, the good and the bad. And uh, so there's a lot of collateral damage. What one of the things that we we need now um, is the development of targeted antibiotics and new um, antimicrobial treatments like bacteriophages, which are being worked on uh, very aggressively uh, in, in several places around the world. Uh, Bacteriophages are viruses that can attack pathogenic bacteria without the collateral damage that broad-spectrum antibiotics do. Um, So, you know, there's a need for antibiotic stewardship right now, uh, which means doctors not prescribing antibiotics unless they're medically necessary, and sometimes that's a judgment call. Um, A a lot of ear infections that kids have, are are viral, and it, it, it's possible in some cases to take a wait and see attitude and not immediately just give them, uh, uh, you know, uh, a zithromycin, a z pack uh, to, to knock out a bacterial infection that may not be present. So we need stewardship of antibiotics, and that includes better diagnostic tests to tell us quickly if somebody has a bacterial infection or not, whether it's Ear, nose, throat, gut, um, and development of of new treatments; um, these things are are critical. And then there's the and, other side of the equation, which is restoration, and and that's where where Gloria's uh, microbiota vault uh, could be critical.
0: And viruses are not affected by antibiotics. Um, what no, leads but, to... you
1: know, Leonard? Most people. A lot of people don't even know that, and, and that's... That's why I brought one, it up. Yeah, one reason they should see the film.
0: Now, what leads to resistance to antibiotics? Is it just overuse?
1: Uh, yes, because uh, uh, bacteria, just like viruses, uh, mutate and uh, develop resistance. Uh, they have a biological genius for that. And uh, as a result, we we have uh, very dangerous antibiotic resistant bacteria in the world now. They're lethal in many cases because we don't have antibiotics that can knock them out. This is a very scary thing. It's a growing uh, global health problem, uh, you know, predicted in the next 30 years to to the point where we will have more deaths from antibiotic-resistant bacteria than we do from cancer. And this is something we we get into in the film. Uh, Marty Blazer, uh, one of our scientific protagonists, has for several years uh, been chair of a presidential commission. He was appointed by President Obama. Um, It's called PACCARB. And its goal uh, is to advise uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and, and the president about best practices that we can take now to prevent an epidemic of antibiotic resistant bacteria and marty calls that um, antibiotic winter like nuclear winter where we 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 have this crisis stuff has been wiped out and we are helpless to fight back
0: in the in the last 50 years we humans have lost 50 percent of our ancestral microbes Um, has that led to devastating consequences? Well, yes. What are some of the trends that scientists are seeing on how chronic disease rates have changed over the past 50 years?
1: There have been surges in many diseases that are correlated to increased use of antibiotics, um, but also correlated with a, a rise in elective c-sections, uh, with a rise in processed foods. Uh, chemicals are, in our environment are likely a factor as well. Um, but we have seen huge increases in, uh, in obesity, diabetes, autism, food allergies, asthma, uh, autoimmune thyroiditis, inflammatory bowel diseases, um, you know, although cancer overall is going down in in younger, uh, excuse me in in older people, there is a surge in some new cancers in young people, particularly uh, colorectal cancer, which is scary. Uh, there's research emerging about the connection between uh, the microbiome and prostate cancer, um, have a depleted, or perturbed gut microbiome may be connected to prostate cancer. A lot of research has been done in um, in mice, and there is more research uh, going on now uh, in, in humans. And uh, over the next five to 10 years, uh, we expect to see a lot of discovery and going beyond correlation to causation. Um, as as viewers will see in the film, we have a story about a boy who has uh, life-threatening food allergies, as many young people in the United States do now, uh, particularly to nuts. And um, th- there's one scientist in our film, Talal Chatila, who's at Harvard, who has found uh, that there is a specific uh, bacterium, a specific microbe uh, that is missing in mice and, and uh, humans. Um, who have severe food allergies, and in mice, when you restore that microbe, you cure the food allergies. So, uh, you know, is it going to be, um, uh, are there going to be silver bullets like this, where a single microbe is discovered that cures a disease? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm a filmmaker. Scientists seem optimistic. But there is a lot of research to be done in this area and a lot to be discovered because it may not be just the microbe itself that is doing the work, but the effect of the microbe on the immune system. And, well, You've and mentioned
0: catalyze. C-sections a number of
1: times. Yep. Why is there microbial loss from C-sections? Uh, because um, when a baby is born vaginally, it goes through its mother's birth canal. And the mom's birth canal is primed with microbes. This is part of our biology as, as humans uh, to pass on our microbes from mother to child. Uh, so a baby is uh, swathed and in microbes and emerges into the world covered in its mom's microbes. And, uh, and those microbes help in its early days uh, form its microbiome and uh, help it develop a healthy immune system. Uh, a baby born by C-section doesn't get those microbes. Hmm. Uh, what, what science tells us at this point is that most babies born by C-section will catch up microbiologically uh, uh, with their vaginally born peers. But there is this two year window uh, when when there is a deficit and as we know, a lot of uh, uh, infants get antibiotics. Um, so it's it's possible that without mom's microbes, um, you know you're you're more v- vulnerable as an infant to having your immune system go haywire, because your microbiome is fundamental mm-hmm. to the development of a healthy immune system. Um, Does breastfeeding so, play a positive role in microbial absolutely. health? Absolutely, and this is this is part of the film as well. Yes, breastfeeding is one of the fundamental uh, practices to developing a healthy microbiome in a baby. And I, I should say that you know one of the reasons there is is great concern, and we, we you know we sometimes use the phrase we've got to change the situation before it's too late is that a mom can't pass on what she doesn't have. So if you have a mom um, who was a C-section baby herself or uh, has been given a lot of uh, uh, antibiotics over the years, um, she is not passing on. She's passing on a depleted uh, microbiome to her baby. Um, and, And so that child... We'll, uh, as a girl, will grow up, have children of her own, and unless her microbiome um, has been supported and restored, will also be passing on a deficit. And, uh, you know, tendencies to diseases uh, are, are are linked to the microbiome. Uh, we know now from research, uh, you know, the tendency towards inflammatory bowel diseases uh, can be passed on mother... Uh, to uh, to child, and um, a- as I said, there's a lot of research going on in this area, and uh, I, uh, in some ways, <laughs> I wish one of our scientists was uh, on this show right now and could uh, add some, some nuance and detail to the, uh, the general you're, information that I'm giving you.
0: You're doing a pretty good job. I'm speaking <laughs> okay. to Stephen Lawrence, who is co-writer, co-director, and producer of a new film called Invisible Extinction with Sarah Schenk. It opens in, uh, in Greenwich Village this Friday. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Attention people of the world! We are surrounded by a microscopic world full of microscopic organisms called microbes. And boy, they are itty-bitty. But as a zoom you will find that they are living witty. In the city or the nitty-gritty by committee. They are sitting pretty. Yeah, they're just living that microbial life. Whoa, work together. That's what they do when they cause an infection. All band together for the protection. I hope you're finding this conversation with Stephen Lawrence interesting. Um, It's something that you get at WBAI. Uh, And you don't get very much at other places. And that's why we ask you to support this station. We hope that you will make a tax-deductible contribution by going online to give to wbai.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's give and the number two wbai.org. Or, uh, but don't forget to also uh, say that you're doing it in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. Um, Let's get back to this conversation about your film. What are some of the ways of treating the body's loss of microbes? I mean, you mentioned the fecal transplant. Is that the, the most effective way?
1: As I mentioned, excuse me, um, a fecal transplant is highly curative for a C. diff, C. difficile infection. It's uh, being used experimentally to uh, treat other illnesses, as as people will see in the film. Um, It's being used to treat autism. Um, But, you know, there are no other approved um, microbial treatments right now. There is a lot of research going on and a lot of promise for treating uh, a wide range of diseases, MS, Mm -hmm. Parkinson's, um, uh, you know, microbial treatments involved uh, for cancer, um, <laughs> um, uh, bacterial vaginosis. There, there are many, there's a lot of exciting work going on right now, but people should not be doing fecal transplants at home in hopes of curing their colitis or irritable bowel syndrome um, because um, our poop Uh, contains other things Uh, there can be uh, positive and negative yes positive no you can have uh, uh, you know pathogenic bacteria you can have Hmm. uh, viruses um you know hepatitis can be passed on you can have parasitic infections that aren't uh, affecting you as a donor but it could make somebody else very very sick so um yeah no, go ahead, finish your thought. No, no, no. I'm you know, I I I, I finished my thought. But what I was gonna bring up the woman from Rhode Island who received
0: a fecal transplant right. okay. from her well, daughter. Yes.
1: Teresa is is one of the, the subjects in our film. Um, we're we're the film is wrapped around the quest of Marty Blazer and Gloria Dominguez-Bayo to protect and restore the microbiome, but we also have uh, stories of three different patients who are trying experimental treatments. One of them is uh, Teresa, uh, just a fantastic person who is a, a nurse in Rhode Island, and um, she has an unusual um, story. Uh, what What happened to her is that uh, she picked up a C. diff infection. She was caring for her grandmother. Uh, in the hospital, and as I said, C. diff is rampant in in hospitals. Uh, And she got multiple rounds of antibiotics. They didn't work. She lost weight. She was so miserable because everything she ate was just coming right out of her. And uh, she was very fortunate because she heard uh, uh, about a GI doctor in her area who was starting to do fecal transplants. And she got one, and instantly, she was cured. Uh, what about, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she, her, in those days, there was no, you know, it was, it was kind of the Wild West of fecal transplants. And the idea was, use somebody in your family as the donor, you know, somebody who may be genetically close to you. That, that's likely to be the safest uh, uh, way to go. She used her daughter. Her daughter had uh, a tendency to being overweight. Um, Soon after the fecal transplant, Teresa started to gain weight, and not just a little weight, a lot of weight, 60, 70 pounds. Wow. Um, And so she went from um, being cured of her C. diff infection to suddenly having a problem with obesity. And uh, one of the stories in the film is her is the story of her enrolling in a clinical trial at Massachusetts General Hospital uh, where they uh, are are seeing if a fecal transplant or a series of fecal transplants from lean, healthy donors will help people um, who are obese lose weight, change them metabolically, and uh, have that result in weight loss. And I, I don't want to spoil it, for viewers, what happened, but it's it's a very um, interesting story, but it's also a very important story because one of the things uh, that is often missing from films is clinical trials. You know, mm-hmm. clinical trials, uh, double-blind placebo-controlled uh, clinical trials. That's how science progresses, and uh, so that's that's Teresa's story and and I hope people will watch the film and find out what happens.
0: What about the young boy in Massachusetts who was allergic to, to just about everything?
1: Yeah, cam. Uh, uh, yes when uh, when we started uh, filming with him, um, he was undergoing treatment uh, desensitization treatment for these allergies. but you know his Is this
0: desensitization to food. Uh, yes, how, how Yeah, he was.
1: He was allergic to I forget whether it's eleven or thirteen foods. Uh, you know, just a nightmare for this poor kid and his parents, who didn't know at first about all his allergies, and he was in the in and out of the ER because um, severe food allergies, which cause anaphylaxis, where your windpipe just shuts down, are life threatening. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, you know there there are millions. Uh, you know, one, uh, I, I'm uh, looking at the the number now uh, for uh, for food allergies. You know, there are 32 million Americans who have them, and uh, and and about six million of those are children. Um, anyway, uh, what what Cam is doing in the film is is working uh, with a practitioner who uh, focuses on desensitization, which is introducing micro doses of the foods that uh, a person is allergic to to build up tolerance. But that's not a, a cure. I mean, it's it, there have been some cures based on desensitization, but it is not considered um, a cure by and large. And so this is an area uh, where microbial treatment holds great promise. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a, a researcher in our film, Talal Chitila, um, who is one of several um, immunologists and allergists in the U.S. who are working um, with a lot of optimism and rapidity on a microbial treatment for food allergies. And, you know, they're saying... In five to ten years, they think there's a really good chance. You're listening to Leonard Lopate
0: at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is Stephen Lawrence, who, uh, along with Sarah Schenck, has created a, a film called Invisible Extinction that opens this Friday at the IFC Film Center on 6th Avenue in Greenwich Village. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Um, now, what role should government play in addressing these things, this problem? Or does government have a role?
1: Yes, government does have a role, as I mentioned. Uh, There's the commission at uh, Health and Human Services that Marty Blazer um, has been chairing for several years to uh, uh, provide guidance to the government about antibiotic resistant bacteria. But government also has a role, uh, can have a role in research and development of uh, new treatments um, but, uh, you know, this isn't my area of expertise. Hmm. Most of the research that I'm familiar with is going on in private institutions, um, uh, you know, various academic centers, whether it's it's Rutgers or Stanford or Harvard or the, the Wiseman Institute in Israel, where we filmed uh, two ex- extraordinary researchers iran Segal and iran elenaf, elenaf who um have discovered a relationship between our microbiome and diabetes and and came up with a way to help people control uh sugar spikes so that they can mm. reverse pre-diabetes and possibly prevent diabetes and it's it's the research is so solid that that uh particular technique uh, and and an app that's been developed uh, has been adopted by two of Israel's largest HMOs for patients who are pre-diabetic. So you you can see the real world results of uh, the, the microbiome research that's that's going on. And it's really exciting stuff, and you can learn uh, some of this through our website, uh, theinvisibleextinction.com. And, uh, you know, I encourage people to see the film because it's a way to get the conversation started, a way for people to start thinking about their inner ecology and what can be done to protect uh, protect it now and, and hopefully restore it in the future.
0: Have drug companies been cooperative in dealing with this matter?
1: I can't really speak to that point. In in any detail, I know the do push the use of antibiotics, don't they? Well, look, antibiotics were and continue to be miracle drugs, and uh, yes, uh, antibiotics uh, were heavily promoted. Uh, You know, there's a a sequence in the film where we uh, show some of the uh, you know snippets from early um, promotional films about antibiotics, the miracle cure. Um, and, 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 and they and have been, it, been, haven't they? Is it a,
0: yes, just a yes, matter of, of, right. of whether we do it excessively or not?
1: Right, and, and yes, and, but, uh, you know, they've been used a lot in livestock. Um, it was discovered early on in the, in the 50s that using antibiotics in livestock would uh, increase their growth, increase the, uh, the speed of their growth. Um, There's a a startling moment in the film where we we show um, uh, an early uh, promotional film about this. Um, And Marty Blazer had the insight, kind of a a eureka moment uh, when uh, several years ago. Where he wondered if we had been fattening up our animals for years by feeding them antibiotics. Are we doing that to our kids?
0: And, and, and by the so, way, are we getting the antibiotics that we've been fattening up the animals with when we eat the meat
1: or drink the milk? To some extent, um, but I think Marty and most other scientists would say that it's not good to have antibiotics in food, but that mm. is not the, uh, the biggest factor in disruption of our microbiome. Um, it's not a good thing and it's, it's being, uh, uh, curbed. There are laws in the United States now that prohibit, uh, use of antibiotics in livestock unless they, unless they are ill and, uh, the, there's a similar policy in China. There's been a, a longstanding policy, uh, for that in the EU, uh, the, the EU has been ahead of the U S in curbing unnecessary use of of antibiotics um, in livestock. But in terms of what the drug companies, uh, you know, should be doing now, as I said earlier, uh, Marty and Glory and others would say that they need to rapidly be developing new targeted narrow spectrum antibiotics and uh, and other therapies like phage uh, therapy so that this uh, collateral damage that comes from. Broad-spectrum antibiotics can stop. Is
0: there, isn't there, evidence that healthy microbes have helped in dealing with the cere- severity of COVID?
1: There is some emerging research, uh, Leonard, uh, that uh, you know a, a robust microbiome is generally protective of human health. Um, This is a a field of research. Marty is working on it. Many other scientists are are looking at it. Um, We know that COVID, uh, particularly COVID, uh, when antibiotics are used, uh, can uh, uh, perturb the microbiome. Um, So this is, uh, you know, this is a, a field of research where there isn't enough evidence now that I can say, or anyone could say, well, if you take XYZ probiotic, um, it will increase your uh, resistance to COVID. Or if you take it, if you take a probiotic uh, afterwards, it will increase uh, or accelerate your recovery from COVID. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of research going on in this area, but what is generally agreed in the scientific community is that a robust diverse microbiome is protective of your overall health
0: now you mentioned probiotics obviously the opposite of antibiotics Uh, should we take what exactly are the benefits of probiotics and should we be taking a probiotic while we're on
1: antibiotics yeah that's, it's, it's a tricky question. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what Marty Blazer in, in our film uh, says and, and what he would say if, if he were here now, which is that um, we don't know a lot about the probiotics that are out there now that are being sold commercially. Um, there isn't much proof that they help us significantly, in other words, help us more than a healthy diet will help us, and that the future is really uh, uh, targeted probiotics, probiotics that we know address specific deficits. Um, that is not to say that probiotics can't help people. There, There is a significant amount of research that uh, it says they can be helpful to people who have um, inflammatory bowel diseases or irritable bowel disease. Um, you know, I have personally benefited from taking probiotics. Um, but, you know, the research, the scientific research isn't quite out there yet, but it is coming. And there are a lot of, of good companies, uh, you know, biotech companies, and there's some pharmaceutical companies that are aggressively getting into this that are developing the targeted probiotics that will be available, um, you know, hopefully covered by health insurance and Medicare, um, you know, we'll will have to see. Are they going to be designated as pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals, or what are they going to be called? Um, <coughs> uh, you know, one of one of the jokes in the the film is that, um, you know, the FMT capsules, because FMT can be delivered in a capsule form, is uh, mm. you know they're called crapsules. But, you know, a lot of people don't want to take um, don't like the idea of uh, swallowing poop in a capsule. No.
0: And sorry, anyway, pretty... anyway,
1: the point is that FMT is not proven as a cure for anything no. except C. diff right now.
0: Well, we're pretty much out of time. But along those lines, in, in just a minute or so, what can people who don't currently have health problems do to ensure their bodies have the right amount of
1: microbes? They can eat a healthy diet, which means a high fiber diet full of uh, vegetables, uh, you know, diverse vegetables and fruits. Um, You know, in the medical world, scientific world, it's generally believed, uh, based on research, that a lot of salt and fat and sugar is not good for your microbiome. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a healthy diet full of fiber, um, uh, you know, more of a Mediterranean style diet, let's say, is very important. Don't take antibiotics unless they're medically necessary. Um, if you're a woman who is is pregnant, um, consider that an elective C-section may not be the best choice for your child. Um, you know, uh, elective C section rates are 33% of births in the US. In China, they're 50%. In urban Brazil, they're 80%. Um, and I have
0: to leave it there, unfortunately. Okay. I've run out of time. But my great thanks to Stephen Lawrence, who is co-writer, director, and producer with Sarah Schenk of a new film called The Invisible Extinction, which opens this Friday at the IFC Film Center on 6th Avenue in Greenwich Village. And thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been an eye-opening conversation.
1: Thank you so much, Leonard. And I hope people uh, will visit our website, theinvisibleextinction.com, and our social channels. Uh, At the Invisible Extinction.
0: And that brings us to the end of our shows. Uh, My special thanks to segment producer Todd McGovern for preparing today's interview. If you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of 700 or so shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Um, and you, if you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Right now, I, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting WBAI. Listener generosity has gotten us through a number of recent economic crises, but we hope to be able to avoid any more of those crises in the future. So we're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level the comes. With by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to your weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's give and then the number to wBAI.org or 212-209-2950. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, for 10 $15, $20, $25 whatever amount you're comfortable with uh, into the future, and that allows us to uh, to plan for the future. Well, but either way, uh, if you, I hope you'll call right now because WBAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. If uh, if this show is part of your daily routine, why not keep it going for someone who's just discovering it? Again, the number, 212-209-2950, or go online to give to WBAI.org to help support independent radio. And don't forget to make that tax deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, and from all of us at the station, thank you. And I hope you can join us again tomorrow.